0: Now, I wonder if um, any of you here can remember when NASA put the first man into orbits around the world. I don't think many of you, you all look way too young, but um, um, I, I was seven years old when it happened, so I can barely remember it, but I've recently read a little about the uh, first astronauts who were sent by NASA around the world and um, the discussion which took place between the astronauts and the NASA officials. The astronauts wanted to have a small window in the capsule that was going to uh, circumnavigate the Earth. But the NASA officials, being very aware of health and safety, thought it wouldn't be a good idea to have a window in the capsule. In the end, the astronauts won, and it was a good job that they did. They had a remarkable vision of what the world looked like. In fact, one cosmonaut uh, from Russia, Valentin Lebedev, says that uh, he was startled as he went around the Earth for the first time, because he had difficulty locating Everest. It was so small, he couldn't believe it. And uh, a Saudi astronaut said this, The first day or two, we all pointed to our countries. The third or fourth day, we were pointing to our continents. And by the fifth day, we were aware only of the Earth. And um, those uh, comments come from a book which was published last year called Global Citizens. It's a book by Mark Gertzong. It's not a Christian title, but it's trying to encourage people around the world to truly be global citizens, to have a change of perspective away from solely the local or the national and instead to have a global perspective. Now that is exactly our purpose this morning and in fact is why Paul wrote these words to the uh, Ephesian church as he wrote to Timothy in uh, 1 uh, Timothy chapter 2. To think globally is a vital perspective for a local church. Um, I'm sure yours is like mine and like most churches. um, We are often very busy with all kinds of activities Uh, It's quite demanding to keep the show on the road. There are more and more tasks and it seems there are not always so many people uh, to sustain this growing momentum of the church. And it's very easy in such a situation to lose perspective, to lock in to our own lives and our own responsibilities and forget the world which is out there. Exactly the same would have been happening as Paul wrote to Timothy. This uh, Ephesian church would have faced all kinds of struggles and difficulties. And again, the same temptation would have been to focus on other priorities instead of what uh, uh, Paul highlights here as being of great significance. In fact, if you look at verse 1 as we begin this passage, do you notice where he does begin as he gives them instructions for their local church worship? He says, first of all, I urge you, as a matter of priority, first of all, pray not for the church, but for the world out there. His first priority, for the way in which the local church should operate, is not the concerns that are local, but the universal, the global issues of concern, In fact, this passage expounds the idea of God's concern for all, his concern for his world, his passion for all people. And in fact, the most obvious feature is if you look at the repetition of the word all in these verses. So, it's on the screen, verse 1, prayer for all people. Then it mentions in verse 4, God desires all to be saved. Uh, Verse 6, Jesus gave his life for all And I've also added uh, on verse 7 there, where Paul indicates his mission is to all. It's to the Gentiles. We'll talk about that in just a minute. So, repeatedly, the emphasis in this little section is universal. It's prayer for all. It's all kinds of prayers. It's prayer uh, that God would uh, bring about his universal purposes. He's concerned, you see, to emphasise that there is no special in-group. There is no special elite. This is all about God's universal purposes, his concerns for all. So, to summarise it, let me give you two broad headings uh, which I think um, help us to adopt this perspective, this global perspective. The first is to pray for all. Now, um, I'm sure all of us pray and probably a lot of us have uh, prayer lists. I do at home. But I suspect that many of us, I'm guilty of this, uh, pray in concentric circles outwards and ourselves and our family or our personal needs are usually where we begin. We're at the centre and then gradually we pray outwards to other concerns and eventually, of course, to global issues perhaps. Um, However, you'll notice that Paul deliberately reverses that and he starts with the outer circle. In other words, he says, start with those wider needs. And if you look at the different words he uses in verse 1, all kinds of prayers for all kinds of people, and especially, he says, for rulers. Obviously, a government, a dictator, a king, a ruler, uh, that uh, uh, societal environment radically impacts the way in which Christians can live and worship and carry out their mission. So he prays there in verse 1. The first priority in our church, this is written about how to conduct worship in the local church, remember, the first priority is that our prayers must be global. They must be universal. Um, For some years, uh, Margaret and I lived in Exeter, and we were part of a church where there were some fantastic older Devonian uh, men and women, who had this kind of global perspective. And uh, on our prayer meetings, there were two of them, actually, on Wednesday nights. Uh, one man uh, would stand up, his name was Mr Cook, and he would pray all around the world, about 20-minute-long prayer meetings, Cook's tours we used to call them, and uh, he would pray uh, for God's work around the world. Another, who I often quote, uh, used to stand up and say, Lord... We pray for all of the people in the uninhabited parts of the world. And um, uh, we knew what he meant and um, I'm sure God knew what he meant um, to pray that God's word would go everywhere around the globe, that the church would grow and be built up. That is uh, what Paul is urging, pray for all. Why? First of all, there's a practical reason which he expresses in verse 2 that we may may live peaceful and quiet lives. Now, of course, in Paul's day, the spread of the gospel was possible in a peaceful environment. Roman rule allowed for that uh, peaceful uh, rule across quite a a large area. And so it created liberty for the expansion of the church. It allowed for Christian mission. Now, um, We might be tempted to complain about our politicians and about our rulers, but to what extent do we pray for them in the way in which Paul is urging here? In many parts of the world, the nature of the government, as I've implied, is a critical factor in terms of the life and growth of the church. For many believers, the tyranny or the instability of their government is a major challenge. In fact, talk about our um, very small um, work in Langham Preaching. It is operating in a number of countries where the environment definitely places churches and pastors and leaders under very considerable pressure. Uh, starting tomorrow morning, there is an event in the Democratic Republic of Congo over on the in North Kivu um, and other parts of Eastern Congo which are extremely uh, um, Uh, destabilized by the kinds of uh, problems in that society. Or if you take northern Nigeria, where there's a group of pastors who are trying to encourage each other in the task of preaching and teaching. Or you take uh, China, where there's a similar program. The the issues of government, uh, national and local, uh, the challenges in their society, definitely impact the nature of the church's mission And when you're facing those dangers, when you might be arrested or your church might be burnt down, then you pray for governments and leaders. You do what Paul encourages you to do, and so must we. But actually, the force of this passage is not so much a practical reason, which he mentions in verse 2. It's the theological reasons that really... Uh, give this passage some punch. In fact, it's not just one theological reason. It is a series of big theological reasons for praying for all, for having this global vision. It's presented in a series of quite profound statements that are very central to the Christian faith and they express God's passion for all. He is concerned that everybody should hear this message. We should pray for all, Paul says, because this pleases God our Saviour, verse 3, and then he gives three reasons. Here they are. First of all, there is one God. You'll see he puts that in verse 5. For there is one God and mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Now, the point is obvious. If there is one God who is the one creator and redeemer, then his concerns are for all men and women, irrespective of culture or ethnicity or gender or economic status. One God who created all men and women is the one who has given the gospel for all, as Tim was telling the children. That's his concern, to seek out all around the globe for men and women to come to faith in Christ. There is one offer of salvation for all because there is one God. Now, of course, that's the foundation truth of the Christian faith. You remember the Shema, the uh, phrases in Deuteronomy 6, which underline the one God, the God who is uh, a unity uh, and uh, repeated in, in Romans in the way in which Paul describes our mission. Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God. Because we believe in the one true living God and not a multiplicity of godlets, we are committed to universal mission to praying for all in fact, Paul uses exactly the same argument when he preaches you remember his sermon in Acts 17 uh, I quote from part of it the Lord God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth so the one Lord the one creator now he commands all men everywhere to repent so you see the logic there is one universal God we are all made by him We are all loved by him and we are all accountable to him, all men and women across the globe. There is one God. Then secondly, there is one purpose. And you'll see this described in verse four. God, this one God, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. As we've seen, this particular uh, passage and the intention of Paul in writing this section is to underline God's concern for all. People who comment on this uh, letter wonder if perhaps there was some kind of heresy going on whereby people were suggesting that this message was for some elite, for some special in-group. This heretical teaching uh, had been entering the church uh, trying to restrict salvation in some way. And Paul says... I want to be absolutely clear, God's purpose, God's compassion extends to everybody, irrespective of race or gender or class. He's very clear as he underlines that theme. In fact, um, he uses this phrase, you'll notice in verse 4, he he didn't have... a. on his laptop at the time, a way to embolden certain words. But he deliberately is emphasising this idea, you will notice it's repeated, God, our Saviour, wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. I'm using the old NIV, Uh, Barbara used the new NIV, all men and women, all humankind to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Now Paul is not implying that everybody will come to a knowledge of the truth, that everybody will be saved. In fact, this phrase, to come to a knowledge of the truth, is really shorthand for meaning they will accept the gospel, they will accept Jesus Christ. They will respond to the truth that's found in Jesus. But the key thing to notice here is that there is nothing exclusive about it. God's loving purpose is that everybody should hear and everybody should respond. There is one God and there is one purpose. In fact, Peter underlines it, do you remember, um, in what he uh, wrote in 2 Peter 3, verse 9. He is patient with everyone, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's God's concern for all. So, there is one God, there is one purpose, and then thirdly, he underlines, there is one mediator. The well-known verse here, verse 5, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave his life as a ransom for all. So, it's quite important to notice the progression in the way he is writing, because there are many, many people in our world, you see, who would agree with everything I've said so far, there is one God. And there are many people uh, in Oxford who affirm that, who are not Christian believers, but they agree with that. But Paul goes on immediately, you notice, to say there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Um, I remember reading something that Mike Griffiths wrote. Mike Griffiths was the general director for OMF and then worked at the London School of Theology. And he wrote that false teaching often loves to insert (coughs) extra mediators. That's a mark of what might be false teaching. So it might be Moses, as it was, and Paul had to talk about that in Galatians. It might be angels, as if they can be mediatorial, or supernatural powers, or saints, or the Virgin Mary, or Mohammed, or Hindu avatars, you will find all kinds of other mediatorial claims, all kinds of other suggestions, that we need other people to build the bridge between us and the one living God. And so Paul asserts, no, there is one bridge, one mediator between God and man. He is the saviour of all, Christ Jesus, the universal mediator, and so, for us Christians, uh, the message centers on Jesus Christ, and the mission is finally accomplished by Jesus Christ. God's purposes of salvation are Christocentric, there is one mediator. Um, we are members at St. Andrew's, which is a, a bit further around in Oxford, and. Um, Like you, every September, October time, through the good services of a number of people, Richard and Catherine and others, um, we're put in touch with international students who arrive in the city. I'm sure you're very busy with that too. And um, from time to time, it's possible uh, for us to welcome some international students uh, for a meal. And uh, we did that last uh, September, not sadly, not this year, but uh, we did that before. And um, uh, we had several in our home. And uh, at the end of the evening... One of them uh, said to us, one of the postgraduates who was at Wolfson, said, um, could we come to your church? Could I come and see what your... I've never been to a Christian church. Could I come in? So I said, lovely. So he joined us the following Sunday morning for our family service and... um, it, it certainly wasn't what he was used to. He came from a Buddhist background, and uh, the family service is relatively energetic, and uh, he was sort of looking at everything that was happening. And um, halfway, th- well, not halfway, about 10 or 15 minutes into the service, he said to me, he, he tapped me and said, Exactly, who is your God? He said. And um, within the few sort of seconds that you have in the, in a, in the middle of a service to reply, um, I said, Well, what we have to do is focus on who Jesus Christ is that's what the Christian reply is if we're asked who is God, what is God like how do I know God, how has God revealed himself it is as Paul says Jesus Christ now I think we, although this is extremely obvious I know that, but we do need to keep alert to what Paul is saying here because in the context of today's pluralism Uh, Certainly in the Western world and now in the UK, it's not at all uncommon for Christians to be asked why they are so arrogant about making this claim. I'm sure you have that conversation. It's probably the most common issue these days in talking with uh, people who are not yet believers about the Christian faith. What gives you the right to say that Jesus is the saviour of the world? Uh, After all, there are now 1.5 million Muslims in the UK. That's more than there are communicant members of the Church of England. So why are you so arrogant to make this claim? And in that context, these verses help us to respond with real conviction. It's a basic question. Verse 5, there is one God and one mediator who gave himself as a ransom for all. Now, of course, we must present this with, uh, with humility and with sensitivity, but we should never shrink from the task of proclamation, Christian proclamation, or be intimidated by today's religious pluralism. We have to focus on what Paul is arguing for here. One God, one purpose, One mediator in Jesus Christ. And Paul is very clear, you see here, in chapter 2, it is the man Christ Jesus, the one who represented all humankind, the one who gave himself as a ransom. He uses all the language which we associate with a mediator. Jesus, who on the cross gave himself for us, on whom our judgment was carried. He took the ransom price, Paul is saying, for our freedom. So then, let me quote from uh, the late John Stott when he was uh, talking about mission. Nothing is more important for the recovery of the church's mission (coughs) than a fresh, clear and comprehensive vision of Jesus Christ. When he is demeaned, and especially when he is denied in the fullness of his unique person and work, the church lacks motivation and direction, Our morale crumbles and our mission disintegrates. But when we see Jesus, it is enough. We have all the inspiration, incentive, authority and power we need. So there is Paul's very simple instruction to how local churches should carry out their Sunday morning worship. He underlines it in these ways which I summarise on screen. There is one God... One purpose, one mediator. And therefore, we pray for all because God longs for the salvation of all. Before I come to the second and much shorter point on which I'll finish, let me just pause for a moment and ask about our own commitments in this area. I find in my own life that one of the most effective satanic strategies which I'm sure does hinder the spread of the gospel around the world, is to anaesthetise me or distract me from that kind of praying that Paul is putting uh, at the forefront of the church's life. It happens, doesn't it? Why is there so little prayer for the cause of the gospel all around the world? Sometimes we think it may not be terribly relevant Sometimes it doesn't seem, as I've implied at the beginning, it doesn't seem quite as important or relevant as the issues immediately to hand. You know, what I've got to do tomorrow, what's happening with my family. Sometimes we feel we don't have the information. Sometimes we might even be tempted to think it's not effective. Praying is not really necessary. But I think more than anything else, The reason why we might have lost this sense of urgency or this sense of passion is that we've forgotten these great foundation truths that Paul is urging us to remember. There is only one God. His purpose is for all men and women. There is only one way through Jesus Christ. And if that's God's passion, it should be ours. It should begin to shape our hearts and minds. That's why Paul is writing. And it is amazing that praying like that really does bring about God's purposes. Over the last few years, as I hinted earlier, God has opened all kinds of doors for the gospel to advance. This morning, there are more people worshipping God in Christian communities in China than in the whole of Western Europe. This morning there are more Anglicans in Nigerian churches than in all of the Anglican churches in the United Kingdom, Australia, Canada and North America and Europe combined. There are something like 1,600 new churches being planted every week in the majority world. Figures are hard to come by, but possibly 43,000 people coming to faith every day. And all this, Paul says, is happening because of the prayers of a local church on a Sunday morning. Praying for all. Now, there's one final thing, as I've hinted, that we uh, want to uh, highlight from these verses. It's the very last verse. Because Paul not only talks about praying for all, but secondly, proclaim to all. For this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, and a teacher of the true faith to the Gentiles. So, Paul's mission and ours, is to herald this good news, as he puts it. And not just to one group, but as you are doing here at uh, Magdalen Road, in terms of the outreach to communities, to do so deliberately to all, to all nations, to all kinds of people, to everybody. And you see that's the force of what he's writing. You can see how, how it sort of... Becomes so obvious in terms of his own ministry that if there is one God and one purpose and one mediator, if this is what God is like, if this is what Jesus is like, if this is what God wants for this purpose, he says, verse 7, I was appointed. Um, On the screen you'll notice that I've just highlighted um, the three words that Paul uses in verse 7. He uses a variety of phrases and some people think that maybe he's just putting the three successive stages of missionary work. A herald, that's the person who announces the good news, who declares the message, that's the evangelist. The apostle, that's the church planter. And the teacher, he's the one who's encouraging the discipleship and the growth with depth that I was talking about earlier. I'm telling the truth, Paul says in the same verse, verse 7, because probably there were those who were still unconvinced. We don't need to tell the Gentiles, this is for us. And Paul says, no, I am telling the truth, I'm not lying, this is for all, as he proclaims the uh, reality of the one God, the one purpose, the one Christ. And although it's talking about Paul and his mission, he is, of course, pushing us to exactly that same calling, not only to pray for all, but to go to all. If we feel the force of this passage, if we sense the passion or the heartbeat of this passage, we'll want to do those two things, to pray to all and proclaim to all. Um, I've recognised a few of you here um, from my days with IFES um, here in uh, Oxford, and um, it's uh, still continuing that IFS sends people around the world, young graduates, to serve on teams. And when Margaret and I were uh, carrying that responsibility in Europe, um, we were so thankful for hundreds of young people, young graduates who went for a year or two years or three years to serve on a team. I always remember uh, one man from Oxford, a graduate in economics from Oxford, um, who asked to be sent to Siberia. And uh, we did send quite a lot of people to Siberia and some of them came back. It was um, really good. And uh, he went um, to Yakutsk. And um, if you know that part of the world, it is uh, it was not true to call it God forsaken, but it certainly feels like that. Um, it's very remote. It's the center of a huge region about the size of India, Yakutia. Uh, it is packed with cults. There's very, very few uh, believers, Christian believers there. Um, it's uh, several time zones beyond Moscow and up in the Arctic Circle winter temperatures drop to about minus 60 it is grey and cold and inhospitable and the excitement of being there wears off in about two weeks so I asked this guy, they're called Julian why, why do you want to go there? why bury yourself there with an Oxford economics degree? it's hardly the place for career advancement And uh, his reply was from 2 Corinthians 5. He said, Christ died for all. Christ died for all. That's exactly what Paul is saying in this passage. It's the force of that reality that Jesus Christ, who had died for him and given his life for him, therefore, if Christ did so for me, I gladly give my life for that mission. Christ died for all the joy of seeing the gospel transform others, and especially for Julian, the rather desperate young people with whom he was working. Now, some of us might be moved to another part of the globe. That would be wonderful. But equally, as we've already implied, there are plenty of opportunities to reach the world here in Oxford, which I understand, although others here could correct me, there are about 120 nationalities just within our own city at the moment. And therefore, building friendships with guests and immigrant workers and uh, thousands of international students it's one of the most strategic elements of mission today no way of knowing what will happen as we befriend the people whom God has brought to us but I wonder if I could urge you is my uh, almost final slide um, Whether it's around the world or whether it's with international students or whether it's plugging into a prayer group for another part of the world, uh, engaging in a summer program or longer term service as a retired person. I've just come back uh, uh, the day before yesterday from the Balkans for a, a missions conference for people involved in mission in Albania and Macedonia, two thirds of whom were early retirees. It was really interesting. This is the new wave, I'm amongst them actually, of the 60 year olds who retire and God has given them by his grace another 10, 20, 30 years of service. And there are all kinds of opportunities for us to respond to this. But it's not just around the world, it's also across the street. And we need therefore to reflect this morning on how we pray and how we proclaim. There's the uh, theme, because of one God, one purpose, one mediator, we are to pray for all and proclaim to all. He's encouraging us to have a global vision. And remember, these verses were written to a local church as part of its worship. This is integrated in the life of the local church. And should not a concern for God's glory around the world be matched Uh, alongside our concern for his glory in our worship so that we declare his glory among the nations as the psalmist says I was in a discussion not long ago where someone said is that evangelism or is that mission declaring God's glory among the nations and of course it's both Uh, we are declaring God's glory and we're doing so in the context of the one God the one purpose the one mediator in the world where he's placed us final thing is to take these words to heart. Uh, They're written by David Bryant as he describes the global Christian, the world Christian. A world Christian is someone who is so gripped by the glory of God and the glory of his global purpose that he chooses to align himself with God's mission to fill the earth with the knowledge of his glory as the waters cover the sea. The burning prayer of the world Christian is, Let the peoples praise thee, O God. Let all the peoples praise thee.